I always thought I had to make a choice. Right. Do I do the stuff that's going to help me get bigger and stronger or do I do the stuff that's going to make me healthier? Yeah. I thought you had to choose between the two. And so I realized it's actually not a choice at all. The stuff that, that I'm supposed to do to make me healthier could actually make me stronger. Yeah. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is veteran strength and conditioning coach, Matt Nickel. Matt has trained professional and elite amateur athletes since the late 1990s, working with numerous individuals, teams, and organizations, such as the Toronto Maple Leafs Hockey Club, the San Francisco 49ers, the Russian Ice Hockey Foundation, and Team Canada's World Cup of Hockey 2004 gold medalists, as well as leading Canada's premier off-season hockey camps for NHL and elite amateur players, Matt is a founding partner at BioSteel Sports Supplements. So, Matt, welcome to heaven. Oh, thank you very much for having me. We've uh, we were talking earlier. I was trying to remember how long it's been since you and I met and started being friends, and you taking my classes. And you told me it was uh, twenty years ago. Actually, I think uh, 20, might be 21 this year, I believe. 20, 21, that's a while. Yeah. We got history, baby. <laughs> so, I'm excited to share your journey with everybody today. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Matt is well-recognized as probably the most successful strength coach in all of Canada, and uh, maybe even further than that. Uh, you've trained more professional athletes than anybody in all of Canada, from what I've been told. Uh, I, I'm not sure about that, but I've trained, trained a few anyway, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, what I want to do today, just because I like to take people that have achieved a lot of success like yourself and share how their journey unfolds so that younger people or people who feel confused about what their life is meaning to them or where it's taking them can see that the path to becoming successful comes with all sorts of interesting challenges and ups and downs. So I'm going to use the hero's journey as the, as sort of the archetype or the structure of our, our, uh, our journey today. And it has three main features, the departure. So, you know, leaving home and going out into the world, the initiation, the process you went through to become the man that ultimately developed all sorts of high-caliber athletes and still does. And then the return, that means what did you take from those lessons that you got that made you who you are and return them back into the world, which ultimately is the gift that you give all these athletes. So just give, give us a, a, a sort of a quick overview of the uh, – teams that you've worked for, you know, what, tell us uh, in a synopsis of what's your history, your professional history with the, uh, your athletics, your, your strength coaching, who you've worked for, consulted for, so that we can start right out of the gate with everybody having a realization, okay, this guy's definitely got some major accomplishments. Okay, well, you know, I... Uh <clears throat> was an athlete myself and then when I got into coaching I you know initially worked privately and uh worked for other people worked at a physiotherapy clinic worked at a regular gym but uh you know it was always my uh 
my desire, my goal to work with, you know, elite level athletes and help them with their, with their training and, and, and their rehab and all that sort of stuff. My first, uh, official team job, uh, was with the Toronto Maple Leafs as a NHL hockey team in my, where, where I live now, my, the place I call home in Toronto, Canada. And, uh, you know, I've, I've done, uh, quite a bit of consulting with with a number of other teams some you know governing bodies i, I did work for for team canada at a, at a world cup of hockey i've worked for the russian olympic committee and the russian ice hockey federation um I, i've done consulting for you know teams in the in the canadian football league and the national football league and and a, a wide variety of, of, of athletes privately uh, mm-hmm. now now i have uh, a little gym in toronto my own little private business where predominantly it's it's hockey players that's that's for sure that's the biggest part of our business but you know we have you know freestyle skiers and bobsledders and nfl football players and nba basketball players and and ballet dancers and and you know just kind of everything under the sun we've got a little bit of everything that, that we see on a day-to-day basis now in the gym so that shows right away that your approach to strengthen uh, strength and conditioning or developing an athlete is is diverse you can apply the model that you use to pretty much any athlete. Yeah, no, and, and you know, in, in large uh, in large measure, the model that I used is the model that I've learned from you, and that I think that that's probably the thing that's made me most effective. Is that I, you know, I'm, you know, I, I do train a lot of NHL hockey players. Uh, you know, probably more than many other people, but, yeah. uh, I'm not a hockey player. I never was. In fact, I can't even skate. <laughs> uh, I've, I've trained, you know, uh, principal dancers with the national ballet of Canada. And, uh, you have to take my word for it. That's certainly not my, uh, area of expertise. Not, <laughs> I haven't seen yeah, you doing no, I, yeah, You wouldn't be surprised to find out that I'm, I'm not, I wasn't a successful, uh, ballet dancer, but the point is at the end of the day, regardless of what their sport or occupation is, they're humans. Right. Uh, and, you know, the principles that I've learned from you are, are the ones that, that have been the foundation of my business. And that's that regardless of whether they play in the, in the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball or whether they're, uh, you know, in the world of finance or a stay-at-home mom, it really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, they're human beings yes. that want to move and feel and, and be happy and healthy. So that's, that's the, the core of, of the system that we use. That's exciting. Tell us about your earlier developmental years. What were some of the dreams or aspirations you had as a child, a teenager, and what was the family dynamics like? Were there challenges or things that you look back on now? And for example, my father was a real hard ass, and at the time it was extremely challenging, but I look back and say, if he hadn't taught me how to work and and really uh, get a job done and quit complaining, I never would have been able to build the Czech Institute. If my mother wasn't highly creative and ability to uh, adapt even in times of high stress, I would not have had the creativity to think outside of the box. So if you look at your childhood and think, okay, here I am now at 40, 44, 44, so you look back and say, what were the seeds that were planted and what were the challenges that I had to work through that ultimately gave me the strength, the character, and the awareness to be who I am today? Yeah, well, I think, you know, my parents, uh, if you, uh, you know, you look at at, at a, a yin and a yang or a, a complementary system of parenting, I think they were a great example of that. Uh, 
my uh, my parents are both teachers, mm, uh, which you know. So obviously, I think I come by it a little bit naturally. My brother's a you know was a teacher, now he's a principal. I come from a family of teachers, so. Uh, but my parents were, were, were probably the best complimentary, uh, team that I could have had. You know, my, my, my mother who's passed now was a beautiful person, uh, very loving, very tender, very caring kindergarten teacher. Mm. Uh, but you know, if I was raised only by her, I probably would be in jail right now or, or, (laughs) you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe if there was, you know. Uh, mixed martial arts or uh, you know, back in, in those days, maybe I would have done that or maybe I would have followed your path and gone into some kind of crazy <laughs> extreme sports or something like that. But uh, my father was a very, uh, a very serious guy, very stern guy. And mm. uh, in, in a good way also, I, I think that my, my dad has a wonderful sense of humor, mm. uh, which I got from him. He has a, a love of history, mm. uh, which I got from him. Those things are great. But he was also a guy that he was that, you know the, the the walk softly and carry a big stick. He was the big stick, so I, I, I think and I, I needed that in my life. So I think they were. Uh, it, it was it was great for me because uh, you know I, I both of those forces were important. You know I I, I lived. Uh, you know I was a fairly good kid because I knew if I wasn't, I knew what was coming, and uh, <laughs> and my mom was there to make sure that it was nurturing, and that was a, a great uh, setup that way. And I think they always, uh, you know being teachers and being passionate about what they did uh that was impressed upon me about the value of 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 being a teacher and the and the you know the importance of that and i think that's something that uh you know i i aspired to to be like them in that regard so yeah well that's the archetype of the teacher i remember in conversations with you you've said to me i'm not a famous athlete i'm not this but i am a teacher you know and so they're that is the archetype, the uh, the universal idea of the teacher lives in you, and clearly your family grounded you in those qualities so that you could express that in your own life. Yeah. Um, when, what was going on in you and about when did it happen that you realized you had to break away from your family and go off on your own? What were the, what were the events and the forces that led you to that, I've got to do this? experience so that you weren't under the rule of mom and dad anymore you weren't a kid you had to go off into enter the adult world yeah, well I, I you know i was always passionate about sports and and played a lot of them but uh, the one that i was successful at was was football mm-hmm. uh, and so i had an opportunity to to go away and go to school and uh you know go to a, a great university and play on the team there but it was you know far far away from home it was you know six or seven hour uh you know, drive away from home. It was, you know, not another, not another planet, uh, but it was, it was far enough away. And, uh, I think I just knew, you know, in the, in the city that I grew up in, we had two fantastic universities, very well regarded that were literally right down the street from my house. So, mm. uh, it wasn't a necessity, uh, you know, for someone to go out of town. I could have stayed home, but I just felt this need in me to, to get out and get a change of scenery, a new environment and, mm. uh, challenge myself that way. So that, that was, um, that was sort of the, you know, the first, you know, time in my life where I had to really kind of move away. And at 18 years old, I was living by myself, uh, you know, in Canada. Mm-hmm. It, we, it was in a province where uh, it's predominantly French speaking, you know, mm. in, in, in Montreal and Quebec. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah, so it was, that was the first time in my life, you know, to, to be 18 years old and living on your own, away from home, brand new, you know, new team, new school, new environment, all this sort of thing. So uh, it was a great experience for me because I, if I had not have done it, at that age, I would have been much less likely to do it, you know, and move to, you know, Toronto later when I graduated from university, which is the, you know, the biggest city in my country. And yeah. it's a big, 
thriving metropolis. I think we're the maybe the third or fourth biggest city in North America now. So yeah. that that would have been probably too scary a thing to do had I not at least had that stepping stone and, and left when I was eighteen. Yeah, you had to get off the hind tit, and <laughs> you know, and when people don't, they can stay. Uh, stuck in the child archetype there's too it's too easy to get mommy and daddy's help or family's help so there's and that would it would have been easy for me you know my my mom was that kind of person they would always be there if you know we didn't have uh you know they weren't rich people but uh i was i was they were you know i was rich in in love and affection and caring and they would have you know done anything they could have yeah i think it was it kind of forced me to to grow up and and you know develop some skills that i needed to be successful in my professional career yeah so when you got to university and you played football, um, somewhere there was a call to adventure. Somewhere there was this realization that strength coaching or working with athletes nourishes something in me that this is something was pulling you in that direction. What were the events that led to the realization? that that was your call to adventure? Well, I was probably started going to a, uh, you know, a, a gym mm-hmm. uh, by the age of 14 or certainly by 15. And, and I would say probably from the age of 16 on, I was at the gym literally seven days a week. I worked out every single day. Now, I mean, very ineffective, you know, like pretty <laughs> comical if I look back on how bad it was, but that was just something that I did. And I think a lot of that was because sports were so important to me because I identified, you know, they, they changed my life. You know, right. it, it gave me a tribe to belong to. It yes. gave me value. All of a sudden, you know, people uh, admired me or respected me in my little community because I was good at that. So I had figured out pretty early on that this going to the gym was it was, enhanced that. So yeah. that was always very important to me. And I also, you know, realized very early on, and this is an important point to make, because I'm, you know, I'm maybe I don't know a little bit older than the average, you know, personal trainer or now, or mm-hmm. maybe your audience. But and you'll you'll appreciate this. Maybe some won't. There was no internet back then. There was no social media. None right. of this stuff. So if you wanted to, you know, w- when I was going to the gym and trying to figure out what to do, there wasn't a website I could go to. No. There wasn't a someone I could follow on Instagram and watch what they did. So if you wanted to get better, eventually you had to work up the courage and have the balls to go ask some guy in the gym who looked like they knew what they were doing, mm-hmm. and hopefully they did. And hopefully they were kind enough to give you a little bit of their time. So I realized early on how important and effective coaching was for me. I had guys that were kind enough to give me a few tips and tidbits, and all of a sudden you'd see results get better. And I thought, oh, geez, there's it's more to there's more to this than just going to this place and doing stuff. Seeking out experts in this field can enhance my performance. So I've always, uh, you know, th- that idea of the value of experts in your field being able to help you enhance your performance. I was always, always sold on that. But uh, when I got to university, uh, I, was, I was a good player on the field, but, uh, but I also, I think I was probably even better in the gym. I always was, you know, I had good numbers on our testing and all these sorts of things. And I trained, you know, in a way now that I wish I, you know, if I could go back in time and do it all over, I wish that I could. But um, I took great pride in the amount of weight that I had on the bar or mm-hmm. the, the, the number of reps that I could do on something. But uh, towards the end of my, my time playing university football, I, I was repeatedly getting injured, but it, was, it wasn't usually playing football. It was the training that I was doing for the football and eventually got to the point where I was dealing with these really, really serious chronic injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, 
I was convinced that there had to be a better way. I was putting in so much effort uh, that there must be a different way to do things. And I actually had, uh, it's at that time that I met Paul Gagne, who was a student of yours at the time. And, and uh, he turned me on to a lot of the ideas that, you know, that you were teaching and talking about. And it just, it really resonated with me because I, you know, at that time I thought, well, I'm putting so much effort into, in, into this. I'm working so hard, but why am I, why am I always hurt all the time? Why am I always sore all the time? There must be a better way. So at, at this point, were you actually doing strength and conditioning for other athletes? No, or just still- for my, still just for, this is all just for my own personal gain to be better myself. So what was the tipping point where you, well, something I, inside you said, this is what I want to do for the world? So I think at, at that, when I was in university, we didn't have, we had a strength and conditioning coach, but it, you have to keep in mind, this is 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's in Canada mm-hmm. where the industry, I mean, this, it, he was a, a guy who was trying his best, but we all we all knew that he really didn't know exactly what he was doing, and I would go home in the summertime and I would train with a powerlifting club, uh, and I would sprint with a track and field team, mm. and I would come back and I would do really well on our on our you know I would squat a lot of weight and I'd sprint a fast time and jump mm-hmm. a height, but but it was by doing different types of training than what everybody else was doing. So a number of my teammates kind of got together and said, "Hey, can you show us the stuff that you're doing?" So it it really wasn't you know it wasn't I wasn't their coach. Yeah. Uh, but it was me just sharing information that I had gathered from other people, right? Uh, with this group of guys, and uh, I, I, the you know the the kind of cool thing was that a, a, a number we had about five of us that trained together as a little training group all the time. Uh, four of those guys went on to play professionally. Two play, you know, two of these guys played in the NFL. Uh, a couple of these guys played in the Canadian Football League. And when their season was over. You know, I was just watching them like a fan, but they they started to to call me and hit me up and say, "Hey, can you write some of those workouts?" And I, w- I was no longer playing; I was teaching high school. Ah, oh. uh, I was you know t- and coaching high school sports. But uh, they said, "Hey, can you write some more of those workouts?" Because wherever we went with our team, we didn't the workouts weren't really as good as the ones that we used to do. Right. Uh, so it was all these things were sort of happening at the same time where you know my my career had finished, but I was had become enamored with your teaching and the mm. things that I was learning from you. Uh, and so I started to say, okay, well, what if I could take, you know, the things that worked for me uh, from the powerlifting club, the things that worked for me from my sprint coaches, all these new things that I'm learning for Paul, and started, you know, kind of weave, them, weave them all together. And and uh, and these former teammates of mine really enjoy it. They got a good benefit. So it was never there was never any intention to do this as a business. You know, I didn't I didn't think there that, I didn't know there there was such a thing. I didn't know you could be a personal trainer for athletes in Canada. I thought that was just for you know, Hollywood celebrities or famous, you know, people, but uh, so it was really, it kind of came from a pure place. I just, you know, I enjoyed teaching. Uh, I I was passionate about uh, sports. I was passionate about strength training and performance training and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And just sort of combined it with this little group of guys. And, and, and that's kind of how I, I guess my career started. So you've kind of alluded a little bit to the next stage in the hero's journey, which is meeting the mentor. Um, so once you, got into this and it started to click for you, you must have had this urge to know more. Uh, you know, ultimately you said Paul Gagne turned you on to my stuff. So when you look back on the mentors, can you sort of share a little bit about who were the, the mentors, the, the people that really had the most influence on how you view your profession and how you practice it. What were the, if you said, wow, if I, if I look at all the great teachers that have influenced me, 
here's what I learned from each of the key ones. Who would they be? Can you sort of yeah, unfold absolutely. that story? Well, I've been very fortunate, very blessed. I've had lots of great, you know, teachers, coaches, like like I'm sure lots of people have throughout the way. And I don't think you have enough time on your podcast to go through every single person that's helped me. There's been so many. But yeah, maybe take the, I think the what, four or five key ones. I would say the the first one is not someone that's probably ever going to listen to the podcast, and they don't they don't do this for a living. But I remember being you know 19 years old, and and I had been going to the the YMCA and then the local university. But it was the first time I actually went and joined a real powerlifting gym, and I paid my membership and mm-hmm. and I went in, and I remember. Um, I've told this story before, but sitting on that, you know, the old neck, Nautilus neck machine. Yeah, yeah. And there was a guy who would come at the same time as me, and he was this little fire hydrant of a, of a guy, super, super, you know, big, strong, muscular-looking guy, and very, a very mean, intimidating-looking guy. And I always tried to avoid making eye contact with him, but I, I noticed on that day in particular, he kept kind of staring at me, and, I, I, and eventually this guy kind of walked over, and it was standing right beside me just staring at me and I, and I remember, you know, looking at him and he said, kid, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and, and, and I said, uh, and I just did, I didn't say anything at first. And he said, I see you in here every day. What are you training for? And I told him, well, I'm, I'm training, I'm training for football. And he said, well, what are you doing that for? And I said, well, cause you know, I want to get bigger neck and shoulders. And he said, if you want to get stronger for football, be here tomorrow at five o'clock and come find me. And, uh, you know, he, now I didn't know this at the time, but Jeff was, a you know, he's still a, a, a record holder in Canada in powerlifting. Wow. Uh, he's got records in all different weight classes and masters champion. He's one of the best powerlifters and, uh, you know, ever to come out of our country, but he wasn't my personal trainer or my strength coach. He wasn't in business. He had a job. This, this is just for whatever reason, I, he took pity on me that day or felt sorry for me. And, and that was because, you know, the, the little things that he showed me and the few times that he actually worked with me and showed me a few things in the gym, you know, my numbers in the, in, in the, in the weight room just skyrocketed in the next year. Mm-hmm. And I started training like a power lifter, which was, which was great. I was putting up big numbers in the gym and it w- was very impressive to people in the gym. My performance on the field improved, mm-hmm. but then I noticed over time I started to, to get a lot of little nagging injuries because, you know, I, I, like anyone at that age, if, if a little bit is good, then a whole lot more is even yes, better. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, and the, you know, I was reading a lot of books by Tudor Bompa, which helped me to take a bit of a, a scientific approach to my training. So that was an early influence. Um, but you know, the, the next biggest influence and most profound influence on my career was being turned on to the, you know, to your teachings and that I have to give Paul Gagne credit for that. Yeah. Um, but that was really, I mean, at the time, you know, I could, you know, uh, deadlift almost 600 pounds, but I couldn't do two proper chin-ups. Right. You know, I could uh, squat, you know, five, I think, whatever, you know, 525 or something like that. But, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't string together one month of training without blowing my back out or hurting right. my hips or so. So it, it was really kind of an eye opener to me when I, a lot of the little basic exercises that, that, you know, Paul showed me that were stuff that he learned from you that I was just so incredibly imbalanced. You know, I was, I was just, and and I it kind of opened my eyes to the fact that there is more to it, uh, and I started to read everything that, that I could get my hands on that you wrote, and then eventually, um, you know, in in 1999, uh, I did my level one. Uh, you know, I saved up every penny that I had and yeah, closed down my bank account. I literally had a balance of zero and had to borrow a few bucks from my mom to to help me get out and take my level one course. And that's that was that's a pretty common story, you know, uh, the story of people coming to take my courses and they sell cars and borrow money and they're flat broke and they show up. And if they go out and apply it, they end up 
you know, really making something. Um, so when you, you see you you see when you took my training, I was teaching all those classes. Was how many of your classes was with actually with me? Well, I mean, it, you know, I've done I've done my level one, and back then there was NLC before HLC, right. and yeah. also I mean, and I did a. a, a Quite a few of them I did several times. Oh yeah, yeah, good idea. <laughs> Which I don't. I mean, part of the part of you know, partly my own insecurity of not feeling like I got it enough the first time around. But anytime I had a chance to hear you speak, I, I took it. I just uh, and you'll even remember I used to bring uh, when I was working for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I would bring a lot of the the NHL players and they'd come and sit in, yeah. in the classes too and take notes. And so I, I mean, I don't know how many different seminars or lectures or courses I've sat through, but yeah. it's quite a few. Yeah, that's exciting, and and so uh, that that's you know you had that powerlifting background, you had that that strength high you know high intensity strength training. So really, it sounds to me like what I gave you was the concept of how to balance the body and and understand the importance of working the stabilizer systems, the postural systems, or the what we call the inner systems of the body, uh, or just like. You know, you could say the big muscles are like the engine, but the stabilizers and the inner systems are like the suspension and the brakes. And if you have a lot of horsepower, but you can't stop or turn, you're going to, you're going to crash, which is what was happening to you. So how, how much of a, a an aspect of your training of elite athletes today is that uh, foundation training on balancing the athlete out and how much of those exercises are you still using today? Yeah, well, it's, it, no, it's, it's everything. It's the, it's, you know, it's my core values. It's the foundational principles. But I think if I look back at the sort of progression of my relationship with you and also my understanding of what you do, originally it was, I was motivated to learn because what I was doing was no longer working. I was in pain. I wasn't getting results anymore. I was hurt all the time. So that was the original motivation was just to get out of pain right. and get back to doing exactly what I had been doing. That was the motivation. But along the way, I, uh, you know, and, and having met you, I realized and seeing the things that you could do in a gym, I thought, well, holy shit, <laughs> that's, this guy's not just some physiotherapist or rehab person. This guy's unbelievably strong. So I thought, <laughs> okay, well, wait a minute. That's when I was young and I was yeah. strong. <laughs> but but my, my, at that time, you know, being a, you know, what I would have, I, a 22 year old guy at that point in time, I was still enamored with that. So if, if your sales pitch was only Paul check is really good with rehab exercises and can get you out of pain, I probably would have followed it along to the point of the story where I was out of pain and that would have been the end of the journey. But yeah. because I thought, well, wait a minute, I'm, I'm enamored with being strong and powerful in the gym. Okay. So I always thought I had to make a choice, right? do I do the stuff that's going to help me get bigger and stronger or do I do the stuff that's going to make me healthier? I thought you had to choose between the two. And so I realized it's actually not a choice at all. The stuff that that I'm supposed to do to make me healthier could actually make me stronger. Yeah. And then I remember at one point when I had got to know you a little bit and I was still just purely fascinated with the exercise, we we sat down one day and we were having a what's now known as bulletproof coffee 20 years ago. Yeah. And you're, and you're the first person I ever heard, you know, or thought had seen do that. Yeah. And I remember you telling me and you said, Hey, but by the way, just so you know, it has nothing to do with the exercises. It's all about your nutrition and your, and your health. And that was, you know, I, my, my, you know, my level of understanding or care about nutrition was making sure I ate enough protein. That was, you know, yeah. period end of sentence. So, yeah. Once I understood that, you know that was a, that was a mind blowing uh, you know moment for me, and I became enamored with that and, and really passionate about nutrition. Then I remember a few years down the road, you said, 
Hey, remember, you know how I told you it's not about the exercise, it's about the nutrition. It's actually not about that either. It's about your spiritual, emotional, mental strength. That's the key. And if you have that, so I think if anything now, I've tried my best to encompass all those things, but instead of making my athletes go on a 15-year journey like I did, I, I kind of let them know from day one, yes, we're going to do exercises. Yes, we're going to get stronger. Yes, we're gonna, but in order for that to happen, we have to talk about your nutrition. We have to talk about, you know, mental and emotional, you know, you know, don't always get into spiritual day one. You know, I got to, I think you got to earn that with your athletes, but yeah. And and you're sensitive to that, but yeah, so that's uh no, it's uh it's absolutely the core values. And that's, that's, you know, especially at that time, you know, I, there, there are a million guys out there that are, you know, more proficient in, teaching Olympic style weightlifting, or there's many, many coaches that are better at teaching powerlifting. There's guys that are bigger and stronger. There's guys that have more expertise in, in, in the technical aspects of any of these sports. Uh, but what I've tried, you know, what I've tried to do is say, okay, well, my differentiating factor is going to be this. I'm going to make these guys healthier. I'm going to make them healthier people mm-hmm. while, while training for strength, sure. while training for speed, while doing all those things, which yeah. obviously they're important. But if I can keep these guys healthy, it's sustainable. Absolutely. And that was, that was my differentiating factor. And that's sort of what I, I really think propelled my career. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I, I look back, you know, you and I have had some fun workouts together. <laughs> you know, I used to, when I'd come to Toronto, I'd get a holy and I'd say, hey, I need a place to go lift some heavy weights. I remember one time you took me to some gym where there's like huge dumbbells. And- <laughs> we had our, 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 our contest, yeah. Yeah. And so you and I got into it but you know i for me it was very important as a teacher to exemplify to my students that i wasn't just a talking head and that i could demonstrate evidence of what i was doing but you and i have had some pretty damn good ball buster workouts together <laughs> oh my god i think uh, th- and this is the so again it shouldn't matter you yeah. know like uh you know when i was 22 years old yeah it shouldn't have mattered to me whether or not you could do anything in the gym. That yeah. shouldn't have mattered at all, right? But it 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 did. It resonate that resonated with me, and that that got my attention and made me listen to other things. So I think at the end of the day, like you know, with my athletes, for example, because I I show them that I can make them stronger and faster, they're more likely to listen to me when yeah. I say, "Oh, hey, by the way, let's talk about sleep. Yeah, let's talk about nutrition. Let's yeah. talk about emotional health." If I if I came out out of the gate with those, I don't know that they would have listened. So yeah. automatically, me seeing you and the things that you could do in the gym, I wasn't going to question. I mean, how I don't know how the hell you did those things, but <laughs> but if you're telling me it's because of sleep, okay, then it's because of sleep, and I'm on board. So and I think of like Jesus, I, I, you know, I, I, people don't believe some of the stuff when I tell them. But I remember you doing like o- overhead walking lunges in a pair of Birkenstock sandals with, you know, a hundred kilos on the barbell overhead. Yeah. I used to do uh, overhead uh, walking lunges with 255 on the bar. uh, I remember the day we did it and it was at a Good Life Fitness Club, which is a public commercial gym for anyone who's not from Canada and in there with your Birkenstock sandals and 225 pounds on the bar. And I mean, the, the crowd of people, you know, you know, I think there's some people were afraid you were going to kill yourself. <laughs> that happens yeah, too. Some people just standing in awe. You know, I can think of we uh, we had a workout one time here at the at the old gym in the institute. Yeah, 
uh, and it was 20, 20 lunges, 20 front squats, 20 back squats, 20, 20, 20. It was this lactate capacity yeah, workout lactate, that you did. Lactate that, workout. Yeah, and it was supposed to be with body weight, and I think my body weight at the time was about 245. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I think by the, you know, by the end of it, I was using your body weight and couldn't move anymore. And you were using my body weight and crushing it and <laughs> sing, single arm chin-ups or cleaning and jerking your body weight overhead for reps with a dumbbell. Just yeah. crazy stuff. Yeah. Fact, so we've had, we've had some, we've had some good workouts. Uh, so, you know, the next stage of the hero's journey is, is that there's tests and there's allies and there's resistances what are what are some of the tests where you've found yourself being really challenged or being facing resistance from other people who maybe were jealous of your success or didn't like you and uh, you know there's always politics wherever you go especially in professional sports what are some of the challenges you've had to work through and if you hadn't to work through them you would not be where you're at today Wow, that's a great question. Um, well, I think you know what I think that uh, all along the way, I think that you're, you're always going to you're, you're always going to deal with some you know obstacles or some people that give you challenges. And I, you know, I you know I was I was the guy in in 1997 walking to the gym with my own Swiss ball because gyms didn't have Swiss balls, and right. so obviously lots of lots of comments and lots of you know people sp- talking behind your back or. Sometimes yeah. not behind your back, sometimes right to your face. And, yeah. Uh, so that's that. There's lots and lots of that. But I think um, from a professional standpoint, um, getting fired from my job with the, uh, in the NHL was, and it wasn't just, uh, you know, it was funny. I, I did an interview with somebody, with Scott Livingston, uh, not too long ago. He was a good friend of mine, and he was talking about uh, being let go. And I said, well, I, I didn't get let go. I got fired. <laughs> there was oh, no, I, there I was didn't no, realize yeah. that. What was, uh, yeah, I mean, no. you, it's kind of paradoxical because you brought these guys to incredible levels of fitness. You even had me come in and consult yes. when you guys were having some challenges on the team that no one really knew what to do or how to figure out. But I watched you develop that uh, conditioning system into a very, very elaborate, beautiful system and and really tracking and using great technologies so what 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 led to them letting you go it doesn't make any sense to me well i think you know what i was uh the history of that team that i worked for they had been uh unsuccessful for a very long time and then they had brought in a new coach uh who was the coach and the general manager so he had ultimate authority what went on he's the guy that hired me and they went from being very unsuccessful to very successful for a long period of time, but we never ultimately won the championship. So I think that inevitably it's only a matter of time where, you know, you come close, but you don't win. People are you know, are convinced that there must be a different way to do it. Mm-hmm. And we had brought in a, another coaching regime that uh, I was, I was kept on the next, the next regime that came through. Uh, we changed a little bit, but they kind of stuck to it. We, again, weren't successful. And then they finally brought in a, another coaching staff. And I think, I think it was basically like if, you know, if I said the, the grass is green and the sky is blue, that was wrong. You know, the grass was blue and the sky was green. So I really don't, I think it was a matter of, they just wanted to change everything, you know, blow like a clean talk, house, blow it up, clean it house. Yeah. So, uh, but I think the, the staff that was brought in, we had very, very, very strong philosophical differences about, not only the not not only the X's and O's of how you do the training, but just how you treat people and right. Uh, so I, you know, I was I was sort of collateral damage, I think, with all that stuff. But but did it work for them? 
uh, no, they actually were incredibly unsuccessful. So and they ended up they you know they ended up getting fired. And this it's good that team now has has really turned it around. They've got a good approach and they're doing good things there. But for me at the time, it was it was not just losing the job. It was very public. You know, I think mm. it was on the front page of the sports. It was uh, yeah. you know it was so it was a uh, it was humiliating in a lot of ways, especially because I felt like. You know, you you had given so much of yourself, you know, like so much of your time and effort and and the passion to to try to make things better. So that that was a that was a really hard moment. But you know, when I look back in retrospect, if it had not been for that, uh, I would not have gone off on my own and worked privately. It would have been a it would have been a very easy job to do forever. Yes, the pay was decent. You know the you know your notoriety. You know you feel very cool walking around town with that job title. It was very you know. Uh, for your ego, it was a great thing, but uh, because of that, it forced me to go and start my own private business. It, you know, it, it gave me the opportunity to leave and start uh, my company, BioSteel, which I, I, I would never have done if right. I was still there. Uh, I would have been bound to, to to keep it exclusive to the team. So, so in the hero's journey, you you have accepting the call. You've accepted the call to become the strength coach. You've become very successful. But within that, there is the issue of facing demons. So here's an example of a demon. Uh, it sounds to me like your your pride was attacked when you lost your job like that. Um, but you're also showing that your strength of character was that, okay, so I've lost my job as, as the strength coach for a famous hockey team where I've really established a lot, grown a lot, and helped a lot of people. But how do I continue from here? And so there's an example where if a person doesn't tap into themselves and look for the opportunity and trust in themselves, then they can be deflated. And, and next thing you know, they're you know drinking too much alcohol or pushing a broom because they've lost faith in themselves. So you, you really come face to face with your own inner demons. When, when you went through that process, what were some of the inner demons that you had to wrestle with? Well, I think you know it came to a point where uh, I was—I would say asked, but I think I was—I was told more than asked to that we were going to switch the, we were going to change the way that we train the athletes, and, and it really became more about uh, punishment, and uh, we were going to do you know like putting these guys on stationary bikes for an hour and burying oh, yeah. them and doing you know, all these different sorts of work, you know, training like, them to hate exercise. Yeah, basically. and all, and and a lot of a lot of times it was it was framed exactly as that as we're going to show that guy. You take him in there and you bury him and you make him hurt and you do this sort of, and it was just stuff that I just it got to a point where you know what for me to stay in that job to do those things I I, I felt like you know I I had to stand up I had to stand up because at the end of the day uh, it was more I, I felt like I had an, uh, first and foremost a professional responsibility not just to not just to to, to stick to the principles that I thought were important but. I really believe that the things that I was being asked to do were bad for the for the individual players, but more importantly, I really believe that they actually were going to hinder our chance of being successful. So I yeah. wasn't being disobedient, no, out of disrespect, no. I was, I was, I was. I just simply said, I, I really believe that this is the wrong path, right? Uh, and I had, and I took a stand, and you know, and at the end of the day, the, you know, shit rolls downhill, and I was at the bottom of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was the I was the the easy guy to get rid of. So I think that. Uh, but it was a it was a good moment for me because I think there were a number of the players that respected the fact that I had done that, 
there were a number of, of players that weren't on our team that had heard about it and respected the fact that I, you know, I took a stand on behalf of what I felt was best for them. And, uh, it, it, you know, inevitably it worked out, it worked out for the best for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was something I think just, but again, just knowing that in that process, you know, I did lose a lot of friends. There was a lot of people, you know, you know, when you, when you work, it would be the equivalent if you lived, if you're, if you've got viewers that are in the United States, it would be the equivalent of working for the, the New York Yankees or the LA Lakers, or if you're, you know, overseas, maybe uh, Manchester United or AC Milan or one of these famous things. So you you don't wait for line. You don't wait in line anywhere. You, you know, you don't have to worry yeah, about getting a, a table. Red carpet. Yeah, it's, so, a, it's a elite kind of movie star type yeah. existence. Even even if you're just one of the you know the staff. support staff, the peons, you're still you still live that lifestyle. So I, I did lose a lot of friends. There was a lot of people that as soon as I you know like you know our, our our suppliers that you would deal with that were you know your great friend because you're purchasing their products as soon as you're not purchasing anymore well they don't you know they, they don't yeah. call you so often you know there's yeah as soon as you weren't a part of that you weren't as cool as you were the day before and that was really hard uh, i think uh not so much because of the loss of the perks mm-hmm. but the fact that i realized that a lot of those people they f- maybe weren't really my friend they yeah. just liked that association and so that was uh that was hurtful yeah uh but you know what it uh it, it certainly thinned the herd, and I knew that the people that were still around that were my true friends, and that was good. So, I imagine a lot of the athletes that that uh, you were standing up for ultimately became your clients yep, when you started absolutely. training on your own. Yeah, which was great. So, the loyalty ultimately was the rescue, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So, um, you know... You mentioned biosteel, but you really haven't told us what biosteel was. What what was your inspiration for biosteel, and what does biosteel do? Yeah, well, so, you know what? Again, a lot of this comes back to you because uh, you know you asked you asked before another question about mentors. So I'd have to say that you know my my first job after I, I, I finished university and, and I was working in training, but I started working for Dr. Moro Di Pasquale. Mm-hmm, yes, brilliant, brilliant uh, guy. Uh, who's, uh, very, very. Highly intelligent. Was also, who was doctor. also the strongest guy in the world in powerlifting, in addition wow. to being a medical doctor and you know lecturing at, at, at university and, and one of the smartest guys with regards to biochemistry that I've yeah. met. But uh, and and through him, I met another guy who to this day is uh, one of my closest friends and a mentor, Doctor Eric Serrano. Eric Serrano is yeah. also a good friend of yours. Yeah. Uh, so it really was kind of a culmination of the things that I had learned from the three of you, uh, but in particular. Uh, you know, everything you taught me about the importance of the circadian cycles, circadian rhythms and, and, and sleep patterns. And, and then I realized when I started working for the team that at seven o'clock or seven thirty at night, when we're supposed to be winding down and getting ready for bed, these guys were hammering down high sugar and or high caffeine sports drinks, yeah. uh, to, to get them revved up and ready for this, for the game, which, you know, May or may not have had any kind of short-term benefit, and, and you know it, it would be it would seem obvious that they do have a short-term benefit. Yeah, but in some cases, I don't think. But I, but I, it's hacking the system, though. But I can assure you yeah. that there was long-term detriment. Of that course. I knew. So that and, that had to do with you calling me in. <laughs> absolutely. So a hundred percent. So so my. This was my dilemma is that I was the guy dispensing all of these things. That was part of my job. And I realized, okay, well, listen, I've got a huge philosophical problem with this. But just telling them, don't do it, yeah. isn't going to cut it. No, because it's, it was already in our culture amongst the athletic culture. 100%. So I had to sit and look at I had to say, okay, well, 
why are they why are they doing this? Mm-hmm. What's the reason? Okay, well, they're drinking these high sugar quote unquote sports drinks. Yeah. Because they're uh they're told that they need electrolyte replacement. Yeah. Okay. Well, what are electrolytes? Yeah. Okay. So now I know so they need these electrolytes, okay? Mm-hmm. And why 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 then the sugar? Well, because they need they need this energy otherwise they're going to crash, they're going to bonk is what remember that you you were a triathlete, they talked about bonking yeah, yeah. back then. And I so I started to do some research into that and say, okay, is that is this actually a thing? I don't I don't yeah. so uh, and then the, you know the caffeine because they need to have uh, energy and they need to be alert and focused. So I thought, okay, how can I satisfy those needs? And now this is those are the reasons that they say they're using it. Yes, I think sometimes they're using it because it tastes good. Yeah, they're bored. Yeah, and if you know anything about pro athletes or if you've been if anyone who's listening who's been in that world, this is it's a it's it's almost seems comical, but it's true. These guys spend all day sitting in that dressing room. Yeah. They get bored. They want to train. I remember, I st- I'll never forget. We always had, uh, you know, I don't want to bash any other companies. So we had, we had very, you know, the the most popular sports drink, mm-hmm. but we only had it in one color. So everyone drank this color of the beverage, you know, and then we got two colors. We had an orange one and a blue one, and you know, we went we went through a pretty even amount of orange and blue. And I remember the company that distributed this product. Uh, they they arrived one day with. A whole skid full of green and tropical rain and Arctic frost and all these different and, and our life became a nightmare after that because all of a sudden these guys you know every they last night they had a green one and they scored a goal tomorrow they had a purple one and it was oh, yeah. just it, it 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 was so I think that the reasons that they told me they needed these products were different than the reasons they were actually consuming them but when I when I was able to isolate okay. Is there a way that I can provide them with electrolytes without artificial sugar, artificial flavors, artificial colors? Absolutely, there is, right? Yeah. Is there a way that I can help them to be alert and focused, which is the reason they're consuming these some of those caffeinated beverages mm-hmm. without using CNS stimulants? Yes. Right. Yes, there is. There's other things we can use. Is there a way that I can keep them from crashing and bonking and losing energy without using all that refined sugar? Yeah, there is. So when we could put all that all together, it was we were able to say, okay, listen, just try this. And as you alluded to before, we were doing in-game heart rate every game. So yeah. we were doing which now you can no longer do. It's not all, you're not allowed to do that anymore. But we were we were doing it at the time. We were measuring blood lactates yep. before, during, and after the game. We were using the omega wave to measure heart rate variability yep. before and after games and before and after practices. We were doing urinalysis, blood analysis. Uh, Dr. DePasquale and Dr. Serrano would look at blood labs and, and all these, uh, you know, salivary tests. I was talking to you on a regular basis, reviewing all these cases. So it wasn't just random, you know, it wasn't just, it, this was actually pretty good clinical research. Yeah, it was very know? scientific. I was very impressed with what you put together. Um, it, you know, having consulted for a lot of professional teams, you were you were way ahead of your time. Um one of the only people I know that reached that level of of proficiency and integration is a level four Czech practitioner named Greg Muller, who who uh, I'll be interviewing as well. But but uh, he was the strength coach for the All Blacks, the, the Auckland Blues, and and another team. But he was the first strength coach in the world in the history of, of a professional rugby to be the champion, the strength coach for all three professional teams in each of the leagues. There's three professional wow. leagues. He was the strength coach for the team that won each 
championship in the same year. I got a picture of him on my wall with all the championship trophies, which has never, ever been done in the history of rugby. But because I knew Greg and you didn't, and I knew what you were doing, and I knew what he was doing, and you guys didn't know each other, and I didn't tell him, it was amazing to see how two of my students built almost identical (laughs) approaches to analyzing, monitoring, and interacting with the athletes. Yeah, and I think that's, again, using a basic scientific approach. Yeah. Uh, which we did, and uh, the really cool thing is, I was hoping my hope, my my dream was that if I could come up with this healthy, safe, natural product, I was I was hoping that it wouldn't it, it, there wouldn't be a very significant decrease in their performance. Right. I hope that okay, as long as they they don't get too much worse. Right. They'll live with it. Because it's still going to be better for them. That was my hope. However, what we found was there was actually an increase in performance. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I, was, I was shocked to find. And, and then, you know, over time we found that there's, there was the short-term benefit, which I was hoping that at least it would be negligible. It was positive. And then as you can, you know, it, it seems obvious to someone like you, but certainly over time the benefit was huge because guys now were sleeping better they were better hydrated and they were they weren't dealing with gut dysbiosis and all this kind of stuff so it actually turned out to be hugely positive and it seemed that they actually enjoyed the the taste and the experience of consuming it i mean it's, they it's, do now i mean i remember, <laughs> i still i remember the first the first batch that i made we had uh, uh only two guys would drink it cuz it tasted so bad and one of them came off after the first period and threatened my life if i ever gave him that shit again so <laughs> it was uh, the first batch was not so good, but we're at we're at we're at a much better place now. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it was it's a bit of a process. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I know for a fact because, as you know, I do visit Canada every year. I've been lecturing at CanFit Pro for like fifteen or sixteen years consecutively now. I'm also best buddies with one of your best buddies, which is Rory, who was was a therapist for the Raptors basketball team for ten or eleven years. So, two of my best buddies are inside the two main teams in Toronto and I've consulted for both of those teams through you guys. But, uh, uh, I forgot where I was going with that, but, uh, I know, Oh, my point was, is that I know that your products and your formulations achieved a very, very high level of respect and regard amongst athletes of all sports in Canada and, and they're, you know, if you ask somebody in a gym in Canada, what's the best performance nutrition and biosteel comes up and there's, you know, it, it's now it's sort of a, a household brand amongst Canadian athletes. So, so I think you've been very, very successful in there. Um, what are, what were some of the inner challenges that you had to deal with through all this process in yourself, such as, you you mentioned one, you know, not putting up with uh, dictatorships and and forcing athletes to do shit that you just knew was dumb anyhow. Um, what are some of the other battles you had to come up with? Did you have issues like you talked about the nutrition? Someone saying, "Don't ever give me that shit again, or I'll kill you." Um, did you have hard times, for example, getting athletes to realize that eating and sleeping and stabilizer exercises and and not pushing yourself till you're dead the no the whole no pain no gain concept or some other what are some of the other challenges that you really had to work through to get people moving in the same direction and to get the level of of uh results that you 
uh, wanted to get for them. Yeah, the um, I, I, you know what, I, I did, but not as much as some people would think uh, if we're talking about the players, because at the end of the day, uh, I, I was, I was very lucky that the, you know the, that the first team that I came into to start working with, we had, a, we had a fantastic group of guys. Uh, you know, I think we had my first year there, we had seven, seven or maybe eight guys that either had been a captain of another team or went on to be the captain of another team after they left us. So we had a lot of guys that had leadership qualities and they, they bought into the concept that, that, you know what, at the end of the day, I just want to make you healthier, which, which is a great sell. I had a lot, a lot more difficulty with the coaching staff. Uh, not so much the first coaching staff. I worked for a guy by the name of Pat Quinn, who's no longer here with us. Uh, he's passed away, but he was a, a legend in the business. Incredible guy that gave you know gave me the freedom to, to do what I wanted. But um, I, I did have difficulty sometimes with coaches, and again, breaking down that idea. But instead of instead of punishing them, instead of it being an us versus them mentality, yeah, we need to realize that we're all in this together. You know, like, yeah. and that, that, w- that was, that was always challenging for me and I'm getting better at that. But, uh, that was, that was a tough thing for me early on, but with the athletes, not so much, you know, I, I you know, that's not to say I haven't had, there, there've been lots of guys along the way that didn't buy in mm-hmm. or had their own way of doing things. Um, but, uh, but that, that was never a major, major problem for me. It was more, more to do with, uh, coaching management, people like that. Yeah. So if you look back on your career now, that's obviously very successful, not only as a strength and conditioning coach, but as a formulator of, of health and performance products and a businessman, you know, though, though I, you've told me that you're the, the, the formulator, you're not really the guy marketing and selling, but you still obviously have to have some business sense. You run a business, you, you run a, the one, you know, considerably the most successful strength and conditioning business in Canada. <laughs> per square foot anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, Matt's referring to the fact that his gym is small, but he, he, he really likes that intimate atmosphere. And even though his gym is small, he does have a whole entire Olympic track, a football field and a hockey arena right there. Walk out of the yes, gym and into which, the hockey arena. Which helps. Yeah. yeah. So if you if you were to say okay if I had to summarize the nuggets the gems and write them down on a piece of paper to say to a young strength coach these are the things you need to know that I had to travel a lot of miles and speak to a lot of great experts and work to refine so that here's the formula like a squared plus b squared is c squared uh if you burn yourself out, you burn yourself out. What would be, if Matt had his sort of pinnacle principles of training that you could pass on to the athletes listening or the conditioning coaches, the therapists, the doctors, where where would you say that these are some of the rules that you need to know? Because if you don't know, ignorance is not bliss. And if you break these rules, you're probably going to uh, shorten your career or the athlete's career. Uh, well, I will say this. Um, I have a copy of How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy within <laughs> arm's reach of every place I spend any significant amount of time. There's one on my desk at work. There's one on my desk at home. There's one uh, next to the dining room table where I like to do work at home. I, it's always within arm's reach. And every single one of my professional athlete clients in the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, I've purchased for each of them a copy of that book. So 
and, and the, the the cool thing I like about and that's not that's not just a plug for the book because you would say the same thing is that you've told and I've I've heard you say this before like you know my hourly consulting fee is is you know it's it's exorbitant it's very high mm-hmm. but if you just buy this book and do everything that's in the book that's probably going to clear up ninety five percent of your problems yes yeah if you just actually do it so I, I mean that's that would be one piece of advice I would absolutely say but you know I think that I've been lucky I've had I've had some you know, I, I had one professional athlete client uh, that's just retiring this year, who's been a client for uh, this. This will be eighteen years, seventeen years. You know, I've got uh, I've got an executive client, uh, not a professional athlete. Is a guy who's run a very successful, uh, hugely successful company in my country. He's been awarded the Order of Canada, which is a very big deal in our country. He's been a client for twenty years. Wow. You know, so if you knew that this new client that you're meeting tomorrow or this new patient that you're meeting tomorrow, whatever your business is, if you knew they were going to be your client for the next 20 years, would you conduct your business any differently? Would you treat them any differently? Would you behave differently? So I think that any of the choices that I've made in terms of how I should train my athletes, the recommendations or advice that I give them in terms of their nutrition or lifestyle, whatever, if I always just remember that, if I always just do what's best for them as a person, Yes. What's going to be the best thing for them to keep them healthy and happy? Inevitably, that works out great for my business. And 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 the really challenging and difficult thing is that I've had clients early, especially early on, when money was tight and I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I've turned clients away that I knew I couldn't. It wasn't going to be a good fit, which is a scary proposition. It when is, you're but that's out. being honest. And uh, and, and you know what? I, in one client in particular, I remember I remember giving giving them a check back two weeks into the process because they weren't ready for this. Uh, and it didn't go over well, as you can imagine. They were very insulted, and but uh, you know, a year and a half later, this guy came back, and he's been a client for seven years since. So that's great. I've I had think, many cases like yeah, that. I'm sure I'm sure you have, but I think you know that's and again, that's something again that I've, I think I've learned from you is that idea of be, having a, a a word that gets thrown around too often, holistic, but taking a holistic approach mm-hmm. and making sure that. I put together a program for each of my clients that I really believe is the best thing for them. Yes. Based on the goals that they've told me, based on my intuition of what I think that is best for them. But based on that, I don't think you can ever go wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really believe that. So I think, play, you know, play the long game, you know, have that long game in mind. Yeah. I'm sure you've ran into the issue where athletes and people come in and they've read or seen someone doing something stupid in the gym, which we call a fad. <laughs> Yeah. And they're like, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. Have you run into that over and over again? I, I have, but I'm at the point now in my career. So we have, I have a very different business model. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't accept clients uh, per hour or per session or per day or per week. It's like uh, you know, it's it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like going to club med. Except yeah. I'm the I, I I tell you what you're going to do every day. Yeah, you don't decide if you want to play volleyball. I'm going to tell you if we're playing volleyball or for or for you know playing shuffleboard. So right, I, I think it, it it it's good because I think at least I've established that myself now to say okay I'm I, I have a I'm like a fiduciary in the financial world, but a fiduciary for their health. Where I would say if we are both under the assumption that I have your best interests at heart, yeah, I care about you and I want what's best for you, yeah, and you've shared with me your goals and I understand what those goals are. Mm-hmm. So if, if we can move forward with that understanding, then I'm just going to do what I think is best. And you just kind of have to buy in. And if you don't, this really isn't going to work, and it, which is not to say, you know, I think that, you know, if you look like uh, I, it's not a, it's not a, 
It's not a dictatorship. It's also not a democracy. It's an enlightened despotism. Well, it's, it's, you know, so I'm going to, I, I, ultimately at the end of the day, you're paying me for a reason because, you know, it's my, my responsibility is to get the result. You have to trust that I have your best interest at heart. I always welcome your feedback. Yeah. I'm always interested, but we're going to do it the way that I think is best. Well, you know, what you're describing is sort of a marriage between the concept of a coach and a mentor. Coach just says, do these exercises, hold your hockey stick that way, don't do that. But a mentor, you know, for example, Customato, if you remember Mike Tyson's story, Mike Tyson was a lost kid, but Customato saw potential in him, but he became someone who helped him navigate his inner world and to realize that his pain and his anger could work against him. And lo and behold, when Customato died and he lost him, then the the wheels went off because Customato wasn't just a coach. He was a mentor for him. And it, it really appears to me from being around you, seeing what's going on and seeing how these athletes relate to you, that you've married mentorship, life mentorship with coaching. And that's why there's the sort of the, you know, there's somewhat of a father archetype. I, I know what you're supposed to be doing because I've been doing this my whole career. And as much as you think you know, you don't really know what you're talking about. That's why you're here. So let's talk about what it is that you want to do, and I'll see if we can find uh, any logic or rationale in that. Absolutely. And that, you know what? And that, all that being said, that's not to say that from time to time my athletes do come in and share with me something that they saw someone else do or their coach on their team showed them and – Many times they show me some great ideas, and then it's my job to say, okay, you know what? That's actually a great idea, a great exercise, great plan, great supplement, great whatever. Can I show you where I think it would fit best into what we're doing? Yes. Which maybe is not today. Right. But Or, you know, uh, from time to time they'll bring it in, and it's something I've never seen before. Well, that's great. Now I'm going to go research it and find out because yeah. I want to make sure I'm staying current. I want to make sure yeah. that I know what it is, and, and every once in a while – uh, you know, we completely changed the way that we're doing things because one of my athletes showed me something yes. that they learned from someone else, which is better than what we're doing. Yeah. So now we're doing that, but it, but it, but it, but we have a good enough relationship that before they will demand, I want to do A, B, or C, they'll bring it to me and say, "Hey, I've seen this. Mm-hmm. It really, it's intriguing to me. I think I want to do it. Can you research it and find out if and when it would it would be appropriate for us to do that?" So I think one of the beautiful things that you're highlighting that's also uh, an important life skill is that the teacher to be successful must always remain a student. Well, absolutely. I mean, if if you don't have any students, you won't be a teacher for very long. You need, you right. need students in the class. It's a symbiotic relationship to me in that yeah. I, my, I can't be a coach unless I have athletes. Yes. Right? They're, they're, they're not going to be as successful without my help, but I won't be successful at all without them. So we need each other. Yeah. Uh, I, I wish I could be out on the field playing, but I can't. Yeah. So this is the next best thing. So I, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm helping them and, and, and you know, that, that I'm doing right by them. But in order to do that, they need to cooperate with me. We need to work together. Well, what I mean, though, is that, and I know you've met, I won't name any names, but both of you both me and you know of someone that was quite famous that that functioned this way, and that is, I know more than you, shut the fuck up, (laughs) do what I tell you to do, or get the hell out of here, you pot-smoking hippie. So I think you know who that is. Um, But that's a teacher that has not remained a student. 
that's no, absolutely. That's so, the 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 um, Donald Trump method of ruling. Um, build a wall around anybody that disagrees with you and pretend they don't exist. But what I'm saying is that you've done a very good job of, as a teacher, being open to learning even from your athletes or the next door neighbor or some book on herbology or wherever something useful comes, you find a way to look at it honestly and integrate it. And I think that's a an absolutely essential quality if you want to if you want to stay in the game a long time because you know as technology moves and as as other strength coaches or professionals evolve if we get to the point where we think we know everything then we just become a barnacle and the next thing you know we're outdated and we're shelved I, I i really truly believe that you know if you know you asked about advice for young coaches or people starting out the most important quality you could have to be successful in this business is humility. Yeah. And I think part of that is when I started out, I was exposed to guys like you, Moro Di Pasquale, Eric Serrano, Ken Kanak. And I used to hang out with Rory. Rory and I would sit every day at the track center with Charlie Francis for about two or three years. That was a regular day for me. Yeah. That was regular stuff. So I've known since day one, I've seen greatness firsthand, yes. you know, and I've stood I've stood beside the platform at the at the London Olympics in the weightlifting you know championship. I've 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 been at World Powerlifting Championships. I know where I am in the pecking order. I'm way down low, so I I, I that I've always remained humble because I've seen greatness. Yeah, and I think it always reminds me that I can't know it all. I came, you know, you and I've been hanging out for the last two days here. I feel like I don't know what the hell I'm doing anymore. I feel like I'm back at square one. You know, <laughs> that like, wasn't because I intended that by any means. But you know what I mean. Like that's. But but I think having that humility to realize I I don't know I I I don't know it all and I can't know it all. But neither can I. But what I can do is for my players I can go and gather as much information as I can, synthesize it and deliver it to them in a way that's going to help them be better. And just as I expect them to constantly be working at getting stronger and faster, I need to constantly be working at getting better at what I do as a coach. Yeah. You know, because I've, I've uh, and maybe others, not just me, I don't want to be taking more credit than credit is due, but I'm leading to a point. You know, you took nutrition and lifestyle coaching, which is now holistic lifestyle coaching with me. You and I have had many deep discussions about challenges with players, behavioral problems, life problems, depression, all that stuff. Uh, what have you learned as a strength coach about the importance of being aware of and interacting with athletes on a mental, emotional level as opposed to just treating them like uh, people that have to get a job done in a gym and shut the fuck up and do it and that kind of kind of stuff well that's that's where i think i've been most successful uh and again i attribute that back to your you know your teaching is that i've had a lot of success with some athletes who have been written off yes because they were too difficult they were too headstrong you know they were they were wild they were un, you know untamable you know and i've had a lot of success with those people because again being able to cut through all the surface bullshit and get to the root of what is your goal what's your dream yeah. Okay. Well, based on that, here's where I can help you to achieve your dream. Yeah. Here's the things that I think you need to do. Are you willing to do them or not? And yes. Then, let, then let's work together. You know, and that, again, that goes back to your, you know, HLC programs. And, yeah. and uh, I think that's been, you know, a, a huge part of it for me 
Because at the end of the day, you look at if you look at the world of professional sports, which is where I spend most of my time, how many cases are there of these athletes that just they had all the talent in the world and they just couldn't make it, and no one knows why? There's a lot of them. So many of them. So you and and how many athletes are there out there that have self destructive behaviors? Yes. And they've got they've got everything is right there in front of them, but they just can't. They've got the nutrition or lifestyle habits or drugs and alcohol yeah. or gambling, whatever the case may be. And you think, well, how is it possible that this this guy or girl could have everything right in front of them and they just keep self-sabotaging themselves? Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's everything. And yeah. those are the athletes like the guys like me who want to go to the gym every day and work super hard and they'll do whatever you ask but don't have that much talent. That's not going to make your career. What's going to make your career is those other guys, if you can save them from destruction. Yes. If you can keep them healthy, that's going to make your career in this business. Yeah. You know, anyone can work with the guy who wants to work out every day. You just yes. got to unlock the gym and lock it up when he's done. Yes. Know? And the other thing, as you know, just because you want to work out every day doesn't mean you have the mental, emotional strength or discipline to deal with the challenges of growing yourself as an athlete, uh, you know, as a martial artist, I can say, remember, heavy bags don't hit back. <laughs> and uh, dumbbells uh, are easy to have relationships with. So you get a lot of guys that are great in gyms and training, but they don't do well in the challenges of relationships, either getting along with team members, team staff, or managing their own emotions with regard to the challenges of competition, such as how do you behave when you're three points down and you got three minutes on the clock, you know? So, you know, the physical element is really, um, it's kind of like if you have a car with a lot of horsepower, but you're an emotionally unstable driver, you're probably going to crash the car. You'll look great in a drag race, but when it comes to being an ambulance driver that, or a cop that has to maintain their composure while driving fast, you could be very dangerous, which leads to my next question. I know this is sort of a big envelope but I'm just curious to see where you go with it. What have you, what is your perspective of spiritual development and how that relates to the work you do with athletes? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough topic to to deal with. You know, I, um, I, I grew up Catholic, mm-hmm. you know, which is, uh, it's, uh, I understand the difference now between religion and spirituality. There's a, those are two different things, which yeah. I, I learned later in life, but, uh, I think that you know, for a lot of athletes, um, that that sort of a conversation is taboo with your strength coach. That's not something you're there to talk to your strength coach about. But obviously, it's the most important thing. You know, I've had uh, you know, you know, how many athletes have we seen that have, again have squandered everything they had, that have committed yeah. suicide, that have yeah. you know had their careers tank because they couldn't control their their behaviors and their emotions and or their like dick. That. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, again, it's that's probably the that's the real magic uh, right there if you can do it and it's also the hardest thing uh mm-hmm. for me to get a, a pulse on myself so i think that mm-hmm. having one th- again something that you've really impressed upon me is that everybody needs to have some sort of grounding in that and they have to have some sort of spiritual practice whatever that means to you yeah you know, and everyone has a different definition of that. Yeah. Uh, I'm certainly not an expert and I still, I'm working on that daily myself. You yeah. Know? So, you know, I think that maybe there's my humility would kick in at that point and say, hey, you know what? I, I'm happy to share with my athletes 
my journey and what I'm thinking about, but I'm, I'm still very, you know, I'm still very naive and I'm still very new mm-hmm. in my journey. So I'm certainly not an expert in that, you know, but, uh, I think at the end of the day, I, you know, my, my business is an interesting one because, uh, I have client, the majority of my clients are professional athletes or, or guys who are on the cusp of becoming professional athletes and aspire to be. And the other clients I have are very successful, at least financially, mm-hmm. uh, businessmen. They're either entrepreneurs who, you know, started and started and sold very successful companies. Yeah, you know, C-suite level execs, guys that are making huge, you know, huge dollars, but they're unhappy. Yes, or they're unhealthy and yeah. they're miserable and they're angry. And and it's again, you come back to okay, all my clients they. These guys, you know, especially if I look at some of these young professional athletes, every girl would like to sleep with these guys. Every guy would like to hang out with these guys. Whatever kind of car you dream about, they got two of them. Yeah. That house that you, uh, you've seen on TV or in the magazine, they got, they got two of those. They got every cool watch. They got all the cool, but they're unhappy. So there's, mm. there is some, like, there is that piece that goes beyond any of this stuff. You yeah. Know? That despite all those, uh, very surface level trappings, the monetary trap it, that even with all that, surely these people must be happy. Yeah. You know? That's the illusion, isn't it? Yeah. So I think that that's when you see like, and I, and I have, you know, clients who are billionaires and you see, okay, well, you, they, you really have at that point, every possible thing that, that money could buy you are you ultimately happy? Is life, you know, is life full and abundant and joyful every day? And if it's not, then you, what else is there? Well, you know, there's a, an old saying, uh, Joseph Campbell says, most people spend their life climbing the ladder to get to the top. And when they get to the top, they realize the ladder's leaning against the wrong wall. <laughs> you <laughs> I've know? never heard that before. And, and what that means is they chased after money, they chased after fame, they chased after success, they got to the, being the, the president of the corporation, but they found themselves empty and realized they spent their whole life doing things that ultimately weren't fulfilling to their heart or to their soul, their inner being, and, and that's a midlife crisis right there, or a heart attack, or a depression. Yeah. Um, you know, spirituality can really be simplified down into the concept of spirituality means in its essence connecting to a greater whole. So if it's all about you and it's all about money and it's all about success, you really aren't connecting to the greater whole. There's, there, there's an old saying, there's no I and we. So if you are too alpha male in your relationships with your spouse or you're too uh, demeaning of people as a strength coach or a therapist or a teacher, and it's too dictatorial. It's all I. So the greater step from I is we. And there you see the importance of the relationship between your athletes and you, and the importance of saying, I am the one who makes the final decision because you hired me to do that, but I'm also open to listening to any concepts, ideas, or requests, or challenges that you're having. So there you see, you're actually opening the door for a lot of these young, headstrong athletes to go from an I to a we relationship and creating a safe place for them to actually have a mentor that they can trust. 
And then we, once we grow from I to we and we realize the importance of relationships and how valuable they are for love, because at the end of the day, what is money without love? What is success without love? What is fame without love? It's empty. It's dead-end road. Then we come to the point where we realize we've learned something in the journey from I to we and we want to give back to the all. So, you know, you've, you're 44. You've, we've gone through the hero's journey with you. It always comes in spirals. So we reach a point, we've made a level of success, we have that sense of, ah, oh, I finally made it. I, <laughs> you know, I, I got to the top of the ladder, but then there's another ladder. So w- when you look at the reality of the spiral of spiritual growth and development, because you know, spirit always wants to become what it truly is, which is unconditional love. So as long as we're working with conditions or predetermined outcomes, or I got to do this, or I got to have that. We have a journey to go, and it's a long journey spiritually, you know. Uh, wh- where's your ladder now? What's your next climb? Wow. Where's your next stage of, of growth and development? Wow. I have to think about that for a second. You know, it's it's so true what you said, and I know, like, I can really, as, as, a, as an entrepreneur and a small business owner, yeah, that's exactly what it is every day. You know, it's it's the, the you know, the minute you feel like oh, okay, finally I'm good, I made it, and then all of a sudden the next day you're right into full crisis mode, and <laughs> the sky is falling, and life is shit, and <laughs> I'm just gonna close this place up and go get a job at Starbucks, and that's you <laughs> and know, then you I, have to remember everything yeah, you tell your athletes yeah, every day. And to you know, as, to as, a, as a business owner yourself, you know exactly how that is. Oh you yes, know? and I, I've. Uh, you know, people talk about this concept of life balance. I think it's a crock of shit. I don't. I don't think there is anything. I don't think there's balance. I think that, you know, you 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 spend your time and attention and your love and focus on one thing and it grows. And when you're doing that, you realize there's another thing that you've neglected and you got to go back and divert some of your attention. So yeah, um, I think that I've spent uh, a lot of uh, you know a lot of time and, and energy on different things. And I think right now. Uh, my private business is is in a is in a very good place, but I've actually had to go back and learn how to be a better businessman. Learn yeah. how to make sure that you know that that business is running smooth and sound, and sh- and shore that up. Yeah, uh, you know, I've we we were, we're always tinkering with with the way that you know our programs and the way that we train our athletes, and uh, and mm-hmm. I you know I think as as much success as we've had. Uh, I look back at our programs in the last uh, in the last year, and I've decided we're actually instead of trying to to grow the business in terms of the volume of clientele that we see, we've actually cut it back a little bit because I, I really want to make sure that we're doing a better job in refocusing. And, you know, and I think with a couple of different aspects of our program, we're, we're revamping the way that we do things. So, man, I, I, I don't know, you know, for me personally, it's, uh, I haven't, I don't think I've ever, I, I haven't yet had that moment where I feel like, Okay, I'm done. I made it. I, you know, I went all the way across the, around the board. You know, I passed go. I collected my 200 bucks. I'm done. You know, I, I, I don't. I, I've had moments where I felt like I was right there. You know, and then uh, I think you just, you just keep moving that finish line a little bit. Maybe that's. Uh, yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like if, uh, if there's a next destination, um, you know, in other words, in inside of you said, if I can accomplish this with my business or my life then I know now that's going to bring me a level of fulfillment. And that, that because I'm aware of that, if I don't do it, I can see that I'm actually holding myself back and therefore holding everybody I work well, with and relate to. I can tell to. you one thing. I've spent 
two days at Heaven House here. <laughs> I, I'm, I know what's on my that's what's going on my board now. That's uh, I got to find my own my own Heaven House. I yes, yeah. but uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna have to think about that question a little further. Well, that's okay. Maybe yeah. that's the point of the interview is just for me to help you uh, do that. There's two points. So if anybody listening thinks this is a staged interview with pre-planned questions, you now have the official proof that <laughs> no, I have no answer for the question. I have to go back and think about it. Yeah, you know, this is uh, what I call a dialogue or, you know, what a dialogue is. The word discussion means to chop up. So a discussion is, Matt, these are the three phases of a lift. Uh, what do you think? Well, I disagree with that. But a dialogue is... What do you think of the concept of love? Well, Paul, this is what love means to me. Oh, yes, I've had that experience too, but this this love also has some real hooks and teeth, and that's what we're doing. We're dialoguing. You know, we're just sharing our experience together because we've had a 20 over 20 year experience together. And you know, it's not like we're on the phone to each other every 5 minutes, but there's been pivotal times in your career where you wanted my help or my advice. Um, And there's been times in my career where I got the levity and the joy when things were going hard for me of coming to Toronto and seeing how you were applying what I taught you and seeing how well it was working. And that and those types of experiences helped me through the hard times because I've hit hard times financially. I've had to fire uh, key instructors that I really thought I had a great relationship and only found out later I was getting the big green weenie, as we used to say in the army. I mean, in other words, there's painful things. And sometimes the road can be so hard that you get so used to getting blisters from the plow, you forget to look around and realize, wow, you know, I run across Matt or I run across Rory or I run across a lot of my students and see the amazing work they're doing and because I've been doing this for 35 years, sometimes I forget how much of an influence I had. So getting to see you all all these years and seeing you really growing and applying this, it, it kept my balloon expanding so I could keep rising uh, during tough times. And um, one of the things you said, I, it gave me a chance to share a concept that you might find interesting and the listeners might find interesting. You know, you said the concept of balance is... Uh, bullshit or, or, you know, I can't remember how you worded it, but that you were saying how, you know, this is going on and oh my God, that's going on. But I'm going to help, hopefully help you have a different perspective of that. I'm sure you will. (laughs) You always do. If you're doing a deadlift with two and a half times your body weight, when the bar comes off the floor, where's your center of gravity? Is it inside your body or outside of it? Well, I guess I would say inside, but uh, but I, I guess the barbell, the obvious answer is outside, but... Well, if you weigh 225 pounds and you're deadlifting 500 pounds, there's twice, over twice your weight, see, two, so, so two, if you weighed 250 and you're deadlifting 500, if you're standing up in front of the bar, your center of gravity is right in front of your sacrum. So if you just go right behind your belt buckle and about halfway between your sacrum and your belt buckle, your center of gravity is sitting right in there, right? Then when you bend down and grab onto the bar, don't you now become one with 500 pounds? So imagine 
if you had 500 pounds of mass wrapped around you like, like a giant lead belt, then the mass would still be inside your body. You with me? Yep. But when the bar is on the ground in front of you, the instant you try to lift that bar off the ground, do you see that your center of gravity, because now it's part of your body, if there's 250 pounds of man and 500 pounds of bar, your center of gravity is actually hovering somewhere between the bar and your feet. Okay. You visualize I'm that? I'm with you. I'm with you. So now if you're doing, if you take a, take a, um, a high jumper, when a high jumper jumps over a seven foot four inch bar and they're arching their back, their head's on one side of the bar and their feet's on the other side of the bar. Can you see that their center of gravity is somewhere between their head and their feet? Yes. It's actually not even in their body. Yep. You visualize that? Yep. If you're standing on your feet and I hand you a 40 pound dumbbell and say abduct your arm until your arm's parallel with the floor, that 40 pound load now took 40 pounds and moved it up and laterally. So do you see that your center of gravity is being pulled up and to the side? And if you don't counterbalance, it'll pull you right over off your feet. So if we look at this concept of I'm doing this and all of a sudden hell breaks loose over here, I'm standing here and the bar's in front of me. Can you see that if we look at life's events that we have to learn to be aware of where the action is around us that's ultimately pulling us in some direction. And if we don't pay attention, for example, how many times have you seen somebody start off with smoking a little bit of pot and saying, oh, I only do it once in a while. Then a month later, it's a joint five times a day. Then they're smoking pot all the time. Or they say, oh, I'm only doing cocaine once in a while. And the next thing you know, they're doing it five times a week. And the next thing you know, they're starting their day with a line. And the next thing you know, they're doing it before they get on the rink or they come to the gym, right? So you see what I'm showing you is that when those people aren't paying attention to how the center of gravity of, the, of themselves is moving, they find themselves way off into a, 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 into a snare before they even realize it was there. So what I'm leading to is, if we think of four doctors, what is happy making for us? And are we taking responsibility for doing that for ourselves instead of expecting somebody else to do it? How much rest do we need? And do we take time to look into our inner life to see what's really going on there? Or do we just get pissed off at people and blame it on them? Are, is the way we're eating producing the vitality of the recovery and the satiation that we need? And are we using movement to produce the results that we want? So if you take a human being and break them up into these four components, which I know you already do, we've talked about that and I watch you doing it. Can you see that someone who's not aware of the effects of diet can't see as they keep drinking soda pop and caffeine that the center of gravity is moving out of their body, and if it goes too far, it'll topple them. Can you see that if you make excuses and stay up too late and party because you're a famous athlete and you're sexing all night and partying all night because you're still acting like a teenager and you don't realize you have a responsibility to the team, that your center of gravity is moving out of your body. If you're, you've got happy-making you got movement, you got diet, and you got rest and introspection. 
spirituality is the willingness to be aware of how each of those factors are affecting you so you can see where your center is being drawn and say, ah, the reason I'm not sleeping is because I'm eating too much sugar at night. I'm aware that Matt taught me that if you eat too much sugar at night, it screws up your blood sugar management, which results in blood sugar highs and blood sugar lows, which results to cortisol being released, which is preceded by adrenaline, which then suppresses melatonin, and then you lay all in bed all night staring at the ceiling and you wake up exhausted and you got to go perform as an athlete, which never works very well. So because a person has that little bit of awareness, they're more like a bloodhound who can smell trouble coming. So spirituality in a grand theme says, what are the most important things in my life? taking care of myself so I can be that person, eating effectively, sleeping effectively, recognizing that I am 50% of every one of my relationships and my relationships are contributing to bigger things, be it a team or a, a, a company or a, a, a school or a, uh, a nation, right? National hockey team, right? You're playing to represent the entire country of Canada, the national powerlifting team or the world champion. The world champion is the one person who by definition has now got the most influence on the world because he's proven or she's proven that they are the best in the world. So there's your, there's your spirituality. Remember I said spirituality is, is realizing your connection to a greater whole and life is like an onion. I in the middle, we next to it, all outside of it. My, core self, my ego, my sense of what I want. Well, right next to that is, are you doing something about it? Are you making choices? Are you working for money just so you have money and prostituting your happiness? And so now, you, like we've talked about, you got a bunch of money, but you're depressed. So do you see that balance isn't something that you can weigh and measure on a schedule because the things that we have to weigh and measure on the schedule are as much mental emotional as they are physical the how much money i have has to be balanced out with am i happy inside and is that money being used in ways that actually create freedom or is it binding me because i'm addicted to making more and more does that make sense absolutely so really what spirituality is is becoming sensitive to the parts of yourself that can't be weighed and measured and sensitive to the effect you're having on others and they on you in relationships so you can move a piece on the chessboard before you're in checkmate and your wife's asking for a divorce or you're getting kicked off a hockey team because you keep showing up drunk. That was powerful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, so my last question is, is... If you have a message that you could share after all these years of climbing the ladder and growing yourself and developing yourself, and you said, okay, let's say you were going to die tomorrow, what would be the one or two things that you'd like to share with everybody that you could say was the synthesis of your life's lessons in the 44 years you've been here in Earth School? I think... um the greatest compliment I think anyone paid me was one of my, uh, a guy who's, you know, if you're from Canada or you're a, a hockey fan, you'd know the name Ken Dryden. He was a famous guy, but 
he told me once that I was a, a teacher who cares, which I think is about the best compliment anyone could have gave me. And I think if anyone can do that, it really doesn't matter um, if you're a strength coach or a therapist or a, a doctor or a nutritionist or a chiropractor or whatever, you know, whatever your job is or profession, the thing that you're, the title yeah. that you call yourself or that other people identify with you. I think if you can, you know, if that's something you can do, if you can help other people that way, that's something that's, that's, that's a very honorable thing. And I've, I've, I've tried to do that and I, I continue to try to do that and I hope I've done it and I hope I do a better job of it. Um, I think that the lessons that I've learned, uh, both through the formal education process at the Czech Institute and the informal education of being able to spend time with you and get to know you is, is helped me to become a, a healthier, healthier, happier, more well-rounded person. And it's helped me to help others do that. And I think that regardless of what, again, regardless of what your profession is, uh, that'll set you up for success. And, uh, so that really what you're saying is find a mentor that find a mentor. I mean, first of all, you know what, as you just finished saying, you got to find something that you love and you're passionate about, because you know what, I I don't, you're never going to be really successful at anything. If you're not passionate. No, and we talked, you know, we were laughing about this idea of the overnight success. And, you know, I've, you know, you've been at this a whole lot longer than I have. uh, But, you know, I've been at this for 21 years and grinding away and working my ass off and, you know, and, you know, having lots of happy moments and accomplishments along the way, but never, you know, I, I feel like. Every time I'm getting closer to the top of that ladder, even if it's against the right wall, someone's been cutting the rungs out below. It's just, you yeah. know, it's, it's this never ending, it's a never ending journey. I it wouldn't is. say it's a never ending battle. It's not a battle. It's a, it's, it's a journey. It's yeah. a journey. But if you don't truly love what you're doing and you're not really passionate about it, yeah. it's never going to work for you, regardless of, of the amount of money you might make. Yeah. You're going to wake up one day and hate yourself and life's too short for that. So pick something that you're passionate about, pick something that you love. Uh, find mentors, look, find other people that have been successful, uh, whose message message resonates with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, and you've helped again with this and, and, you know, have those mentors learn from them, study from them, but work on yourself so that you can choose what aspects of that message resonate best with you, synthesize that information, uh, and deliver it in a method that's effective for the population of people that you work with. Yeah. Well, Fantastic. And congratulations on all your success. I, I'm very grateful that I got to have a little piece in it. And um, Much bigger than a little piece. Well, it's it's just, you know, I know how many great minds you've worked with. So I, I personally don't want to take uh, more credit because I know you integrate a lot of great minds ideas. I'm grateful that I could contribute some pieces. It's been a great joy for me to be a consultant to you over the years and help you with challenging situations and athletes. It's also been great too. You know, we talked about spirituality, but one of the things that wasn't mentioned is you have me come in now and then and take professional athletes and teach them stuff. And that last time it was breathing well, we should, techniques uh, and Tai Chi. We should talk about that. I mean, I, I can, I can tell you that, you know, for the listeners out there, Paul, any, you know, anytime he comes into Toronto, especially during the summertime when all my professional athletes are there, uh, he's kind enough to come in. And uh, sometimes it's just Paul and I hanging out in the gym. Sometimes it's Paul and I getting a workout in. Uh, uh, sometimes it's Paul running all of my professional athletes through some breathing exercises or Tai Chi or whatever. But never once have you ever come in where I didn't have at least one, and usually it's several athletes 
have a life change. I don't, I don't mean a, uh, a great workout. I'm not talking about a great workout. I'm not talking about a fun experience. I'm not talking about a learning experience. I'm talking about a, a true life changing experience, mm. you know, where I have guys whose lives were profoundly impacted for the better and who have changed the way they look at life, who've changed the way that they, they, their goals and dreams in life based on their interaction with you. And it's the, the great thing is, and you know, so all, all of my clients have, have a copy of your book. Mm. Uh, some of my clients have been and attended lectures. You know, I've brought them with me and yeah. they all know who you are. But every time you come, I let them know. Paul Check's going to be here on Tuesday sometime between 9 and noon. I don't know when he's coming and I don't know what the hell he's going to do. So it's not, you know, there's, there's no expectation. Yeah. They might come in and you might just be deadlifting. They might come in and you're going to do Tai Chi or Qigong. And they show up and everyone has a different takeaway from that experience, mm. but it's a, it's a profound, it's the impact to see the impact that it has on these guys. And these guys, they have lots of great coaches. They have yeah. great strength and conditioning coaches they work with on their team. Mm. I'd like to think that I'm a pretty good strength coach. You are. <laughs> I, you know, they're exposed to so many things and, and some of these guys to see the reaction, to see like the, where these guys, it's just an aha moment for them where they realize this is something completely different. This is not just a different type of doing a barbell curl or a yeah. different way of doing an exercise or a different nutritional idea, some fad of the day. It's not that this is a whole different level of information. That's really cool for me to be able to share. It, it, it gives me great joy to share that because it was so impactful for me to share that with my guys. And I've, I, you know, I've, I've got one athlete in particular that I could tell you about that, you know, that I, I, you know, he's a guy that now he's surpassed me. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, if, if I, if I had a crisis and you weren't available, yeah. he's my next call. Yeah. And this guy was my, he was my athlete. He was my student. Yeah. But to see, that's really cool to see what these guys have taken it and run with it. And now they're coming back to me with, Hey, I heard Paul check talk about this book. I read it. It was really good. And I think, well, shit, I didn't even read that one yet. <laughs> you know, or Hey, Paul gave me this idea for, for this, uh, for this and that. It, it's really, really cool to see. Yeah. Well, thank you for letting me share in their lives and in your life and, it's, uh, you know, this is what really makes life meaningful and rich, right? This is 21 or 22 years you and I have been working with the reality of the world together and growing ourselves and learning to live better and love better and share more. So, uh, hey, we're not dead yet, baby. We, <laughs> we got a long way to go. Um, I know I said that would be my last question, but here's my last question. If you looked into an imaginary crystal ball and asked yourself, where, where do I want to be in 20 years from now? Where are you headed? Uh, well, you know what? We'll, we'll, be, we'll be having this uh, conversation at, at my heaven house. Good. Somewhere. Perfect. I'll be, I'll be showing you my, my, my facility there. And we'll Good. Be, you're going to be making the espresso. Okay. I'll, I, I'll, know, I, I, I like it. I, I think that's an unrealistic goal for me to make better espresso than you. I can try, but yeah. I think that's, uh, you know, but... Uh, yeah, I think it would be uh, me and my family being happy and healthy, and and uh, I love. It's already starting now, but I love seeing the athletes that I've coached are now coaching professional teams and managing professional teams, and I feel like that's my ability to affect a change greater than I could ever do myself. And to see these mm. guys going out in the world and having having happiness and success and health, and I hope there's just more of that to come. So probably by the sound of it. You know, when you get to the point where you're uh, ready to not do so much up close and in the fire that it, you, because you have produced so many of these guys that are now out there on big teams, 
sounds like maybe you'll uh, fall back into more of a consulting role and 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 just pick and choose your your work well, I, as you want to. I, yeah, I think so. And I, and and again, that's that's what you do. I mean, you yeah. you know there are there are players, very very famous, world famous athletes that I've helped that have never met you, but you've impacted them. And you've changed their life dramatically because of the things that you taught me and helped me to to, to show them. Yeah. So I think really it's as you grow and evolve and, and progress in your career, you have so much of a bigger reach now because you've impacted you know guys like me yeah. and shared that message with me that I can then go out and share with the world and they those people can again share it with their yeah. with their network of people. It's really powerful. That's what love is, isn't it? I like that. At the end of the day, that's what love is. Without that desire to share and the joy of seeing other people grow and accomplish and flower and and become fulfilled and what do we have what do you really have as i say who gives a shit if you can squat 800 pounds if you can't get along with your wife and your kids or you you can't maintain healthy relationships with your friends or the people that are trying to teach you and grow you you now you're just a meathead and uh, I think, you know, one of my dreams has always been to create intelligent athletes and athletes that have love and respect for each other and and know that the ultimate accomplishment is to share the best of you with everyone else so that they can share the best with them. And I can tell you for sure you've done that. Well, thank you. That means a lot to me. Thank you. I appreciate that. What a great chance to share time together in heaven and... uh I wish you all the best of success. I will see you when I'm in Toronto uh, later in the year for CanFit Pro, and uh, hopefully I'll come hang out with you guys. And Absolutely. I'll try to remember to pick you an espresso up on the <laughs> way in. I can't wait. All right, bud. And Thank where you. can people find you if they want to learn more about you or what you have to offer or even consider uh, coming and training with you yeah, if you're a professional uh, athlete or even an elite athlete? www.mattnickel.com or uh, you know Twitter and Instagram. I'm 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 trying to, to slowly integrate myself into that world. As you know, that's yeah. not my <laughs> me. Either, I, I, I didn't grow up with any of that stuff. So I'm yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram, on Twitter, and and all that good stuff. Okay, well, uh, Matt, I I doubt this will be our last interview. So I sure hope not. Until the next time. Until keep, the next time. Keep doing the great work you're doing. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Matt Nickel. You can follow Matt on Instagram at Matt underscore Nickel or on Twitter at M underscore Nickel. His website is mattnickel.com. That's M-A-T-T-N-I-C-H-O-L dot com. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living 4D Podcast or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living4d with Paul Check. You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and the Czech Institute's blog at checkinstitute.com forward slash blog. <laughs>